Good evening, whiskey drinkers and history nerds alike. Thank you for joining me on tonight's episode of Why Whiskey as we take a look into the Battle of Verdun. Greetings, friends. This is Why Whiskey, a history podcast with a whiskey problem. Or is it a whiskey podcast with a history problem? We'll let you decide. I'm your host, Ian McGlynn. Let's get after it. Before we get going into talking about the Battle of Verdun, let's talk whiskey for just a second. Uh, this evening I am sipping on Blade and Bow. comes out of the Stitzel Weller Distillery. Uh, it is a uh, corn, rye, and barley mash bill. Uh, it has this really nifty key that has a number on it on the bottle. This uh, this number, this key on the bottle I have here is a number one. So they're numbered one through five. And what Stitzel Weller does is they label them one through five because there are five keys to the whiskey distilling process. Those five keys are grains, yeast, fermentation, distillation, and aging. And... Uh, so there's a key on each bottle when you buy this that's got a number on it. You collect all five. It's kind of like the uh, letters on uh, the bottles of uh, the toppers of Blanton's. It spells out Blanton's. It's kind of cool. Very good whiskey. Uh, 91 proof uh, on the nose is, I don't know, getting a little little oak and a little bit of burnt caramel almost. Uh, tastes great, whether you're a noser or not. I'm drinking it neat out of a Glencairn this evening. And uh, I chose Blade and Bow just because uh, just the bottle looked cool. So, um, I hope you have your favorite whiskey with you as we go in and start talking about one of the uh, largest, most intense battles of World War I. So, the Battle of Verdun was suggested to me by a good buddy of mine named Monty to talk about on the podcast and to be very honest with you, I had a very minimal knowledge of the battle itself going into the suggestion. So I start looking into it. I start doing some research and I, I am blown away by the amount of stuff, content, I guess is the pretty word you want to use, uh, of things that different things that happened during this battle and significant actions on both the Germans uh, and the French and, and I, there's literally so much that it's, it's, it would take me two hours uh, and a lot of boring history talk to, to kind of cover all of the intricacies of the battle. So I'm going to do a rough overview, a couple of key players, and uh, there are two aspects of the fight that, that really stood out to me as being very interesting and maybe not uh, quite as understood or known by just most folks about this battle. So... Uh, location, Verdun, France. It's 140 miles east of Paris on the banks of the Meuse River. Uh, significance uh, of Verdun, a highly fortified area. The the Treaty of Verdun uh, with Charlemagne and his, his big conflict, uh, it, it ended there. So now we've got the Germans uh, over on the western side and we've got the French up on the eastern side. They're actually on both sides of the river. Verdun is, sits on the western side of the river. As you're looking at a map, and uh, and so, so why are we here? Why is Verdun important? It 
uh, there's a major east-west railroad uh, that supplies Germans and during their 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 fight. Uh, so it's one of the major supply lines, and they kind of want to take it. So uh, one of the key players for the German army at this point is General Falkenhayn. He's the mastermind behind this Operation uh, Gericht. If I'm saying that, I'm sorry, my, my German's not great. Uh, which is the German word for judgment or place of execution. Kind of cool there. So he has Operation Gericht in uh, drawn out and ready to go. And so, uh, again, so he, uh, not wanting to really take it, just get close enough so he can destroy the French army, who have, uh, at this point, lost like 3 million people at this point. It's just a, a World War One was just an unbelievable uh, amount of loss of life. So in this area of Verdun, we've got 40 large French bases. we got 20 small ones. But the defensive lines in between these bases is terrible. The bases themselves are just these stout uh, citadel complexes of, of underground bunkers uh, that proved to be very useful to both the French and the Germans later on in the fight. But the, the lines in between these bases is very poorly constructed. And a lot of that has to do with uh, some of the, the complacency that the French got into or got the feeling of because they, they thought they just had these superior bases that couldn't be taken. So they kind of just chilled out and relaxed and, you know, the Germans aren't going to come. They actually pulled back most of the artillery that was in these bases because they were so uh, confident in the fact that they just couldn't be taken. So uh, let's talk timeline real quick. So 21 February, the Germans start the, the barrage and they start moving their troops forward. They just launch an ungodly amount of artillery. And now here comes the, the first, you know, the, the engineers and the scouts and all those folks and they start moving in. 25 February, Douaumont, Fort Douaumont, which we'll talk about again here in a little while, falls to the Germans uncontested. Funny story here, and, and for my military guys, uh, this is going to ring very... A, our, our correction, French General A uh, and French General B both thought Either general had a garrison at the base, and there was no garrison at the base, and nobody followed up. So literally, one of the strongest forts that the French army had fell to the Germans completely uncontested. Uh, <laughs> and the French ended up losing tens of thousands of lives in soldiers' retaking the base that was completely left unoccupied so again that whole complacency of the french right before the fight kicked off really kind of kind of rang true and helped the germans uh move forward and bring that line down closer to the river so there's a lot of fighting that goes on um now we're in uh we're in the march time frame and all of a sudden here comes this french general things aren't going well for the french at this time french general um philippe Batain comes in and philippe Batain. Uh, he's in charge of the Second Army. Uh, very interesting guy. We're going to talk about him in depth here a little bit later on because he has some some really cool things. Two, two of the two things I want to focus on are actually two of his kind of key things. Um, but he breaks the mold of the French uh, fighting style. Up until this point, the French have the cult of the offensive. Their power is in the attack. 
It's it's sending in the infantry and just launching these guys and going and going and going and going, just people, just launching people into the and their power is in uh, the people, which is why General Falkenhayn in the in the German army uh, wanted to expose that because he knew that the French would just send masses amounts of these these soldiers in to go and um, and he could just take them out with his artillery. So. Uh, so the cult of the offensive, right? The the French infantrymen, uh, that was their that was their thing. So Batain comes in and says, "Nah, we're 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 not going to win this one that way." So he kind of takes a look at things and he changes some stuff up, and he says, "No, we need to we need to bring in some artillery. This this needs to be. We need we've got we're getting beat up with big guns. We need to bring in some big guns. We need to beat them up with like size and bigger." And ends up bringing in some really big guns later on. So Patain launches his counteroffensive. Excuse me, I'm kind of flipping through notes here. There's so much stuff. Um, in May of 1916, and he drops two million pounds of artillery a day for seven days on 150 acres of land. That's that's a quarter square mile of land. <laughs> that's a that's a lot of artillery. Still loses. Now, all of this artillery is going into Fort Douaumont, and Douaumont is built so well that the French can't even destroy it. They end, up, they end up doing a lot of damage, but it's the underground bunker systems where the Germans are hiding and completely safe from this barrage of artillery that's just coming down on them. So it's a loss, uh, but the, the amount of force and power. And doing, during my research, I looked at some of the pictures, that uh, the aerial shots that the French were able to take prior to and then after the uh, after the barrage of this fort. And it's it's unbelievable. You're, there's walls and structures on the first picture, and you can see a very clear uh, pentagon-shaped uh, base. And, and in the next picture, it's it looks like the surface of the moon. You can still kind of see the outline of the walls of the base, but the rest of it is just pot-marked. And it, it literally, that was the first thought that came to my mind, was like, that that's a picture of the moon. But it's not. It's what was left. And to think that the Germans were perfectly safe underneath all of that is unbelievable. Just remarkable. So now we're fighting again. We're in this uh, June. Uh, Fort Vaux falls to the Germans. It's another big uh, encampment just a little bit south and west of there. July through September, we've got a little lull in the action. Everything's kind of chilling out. At this time, Patain is getting ready. He's building this stuff up. Um to go and launch a counteroffensive, uh, and uh, a bunch of other things are happening this time. Actually, the uh, what he's doing with troop movements and supplies and stuff like that is pissing off the army, the French army's command so much, and um, the uh, they're uh, you know they want troops over there, but they've got like. A whole bunch of troops. Uh, Patain's got him over in Verdun, holding Verdun because it's a key structure. And anyway, so the French army leadership gets so mad at him, and they can't really do anything to stop him. So they promote him out of the job. Um, this really has a little effect on Patain. He stays very active. He does put in other people in place that have uh, good action. General Neville is one of them. Not going to get too deep into him, but. Uh, took command and, and kept the, the fight going. So in October of 1916, they launched the offensive by December. Uh, December 5th is the last battle, and it's done. They take it back. They've pushed the Germans all the way back to their original line on the front. They've lost 
almost a, uh, let's see, hold on. Going through notes again here. 162,000 French dead are missing. And then two. Saw action for done. This is a battle, keep in mind. One battle of the of World War One. 75% of the French army saw action during this one battle. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. Uh, uh, something I, I failed to mention during the, the timeline was uh, Falkenhayn. Falkenhayn was actually fired on the 20th of August because the, the Germans were like, what is going on? And uh, reading an article, uh, what happened because of what the focus was uh, here on Verdun for, by the Germans, it actually opened up um, fronts over on the eastern front for Russia to come in and start making a mess and then Italy getting bold and Italy starting to to go in and and poke back at the Germans so uh, the article called it an invitation of the devil because all the focus went into Verdun France and the other two fronts started to uh, notice that and took advantage of that so seeing how all that kind of played out Falkenhayn's fired and now they're just trying to save face so probably just cut this part out i'm sipping whiskey it's wonderful <sighs> it's really good whiskey i really like this stuff mm. still a little diageo actually diageo funny thing about them we're gonna take a little break from the history and talk whiskey again real quick i bought a bottle of their uh, spirit of the apocalypse the walking dead and thought it was probably just a you know a sales thing for the halloween time of year and poured a glass took a sip and i was like uh water gross it was awful it was terrible uh, and then i just let it sit so that was my first sip and i just let it sit came back to it about five minutes later totally different whiskey absolutely amazing good stuff uh just let it breathe just let it take a second so that's uh spirit of the apocalypse the walking dead if you can find it uh if it's uh priced at 30 dollars or more I would recommend you just pass. So, here we go. Back to Verdun. So, uh, in a battle that could have been a war all in of itself, two big things kind of stuck out. And they, uh, they both are, are centered around General Philippe Pétain for the French, uh, the commander of the Second Army. Pétain had two uh, focuses of his leadership that were amazing. Number one, he is, uh, Robert Bruce calls him a master of logistics. Patain was the first one to use automobiles to help supply the fight. This is being one of the things that's actually noted is what the difference maker was and how the French was able to beat them is because they were able to move um, supplies, people, food so fast. Logistics had roads and railroads and all kinds of stuff to get people and stuff where they needed to go. The French had one lightweight railroad and one dirt road. To supply their entire battlefield. So Patain looks at this and says, like, all right, cool, let's let's fire up some trucks and let's get going. Uh, obviously, springtime, things start to thaw, road gets muddy, trucks are getting stuck. So he activates a couple of quarries, puts a bunch of gravel on the roads, gets the roads firmed up, trucks are moving again, but now the rocks on the road are popping tires. So he sets up service stations along this road that's providing supplies. So when a truck pops a tire, it doesn't have to sit there and wait for hours. There's service stations along the whole way to keep the trucks moving and to keep the constant supplies rolling. 
The trucks in all in told carried about 190,000 people, 22,000 tons of munitions, and 2,500 tons of supplies. Um, the road itself was the La Voie Sacrée. Uh, that was the, what they named it, and that means the sacred way. Kind of interesting fun fact there. So between this one little railroad and the, the La Voie Sacrée, they, he is able to keep his troops supplied, fed, armed, and able to go and fight. Which leads into the second part of this. So you have, again, you know, 75% of the French army is, is involved in one way or another in the 10-month the struggle of Verdun. The, the amount of psychological toll that it took on, on the troops, um, he's actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you, um, out of his diary, if it'll open, he actually talks about the psychological health of his soldiers and how important that is. And up to this point, the, the medical synopsis or the medical diagnosis of um, the, the, the million mile stare being shell shocked was uh, a moral diagnosis. They thought it was, they were afraid. They thought they were fearful of, of everything. It wasn't, uh, they had, they had no bravery. It wasn't an actual psychological deficiency, but Patain said, no, nah, it's more than that. And this thing isn't going to open for me. Oh, yep, here we go. All right. Um, and this is coming out of uh, Robert Bruce's uh, article on the Battle of Verdun, which is phenomenal. It gives just a fantastic uh, view of the fight from the French side. Let's see if I can find it. My fault for not being more uh, more prepared for you. Still looking. Enjoy your whiskey if you've got it. Give me just a sec. All right, here we go. So, so you can imagine that the just the amount of of death and violence and insanity that's going on around them. Um takes a, a psychological toll on the fighting forces. So uh, uh, let's see, Patain writes this, um, and I'm going to guard bled when I saw our young 20-year-old men going under fire at Verdun. Knowing as I did with the impersonability of their age, they would quickly lose the enthusiasm aroused by their first battle and sink into apathy of suffering, perhaps even into discouragement in the face of of such a task as was theirs. I loved the confident glance with which they saluted me, but the discouragement with which they returned. Their eyes stared into space as if transfixed by a vision of terror. Horrible memories made them quail. When I questioned them, they scarcely answered, and the jeering tones of the old poyous awakened no spark of response in them. The million miles stare. These guys were done. So, what does he have to do? The, the fight is continuing, and he has... Now, this psychological effect on these guys who are just getting bombarded every day. So, he sets up a system, a relief system. And that system is three days in, one week out. He is the first to recognize the mental health of his his fighting force and how important that is to his success. So... So now he puts them on a rotational basis, and he has to bring in more soldiers to do this. And this is goes back to kind of what pissed off the 
the French leadership who's getting ready to fight again. He's pulling in soldiers to keep his guys relieved and engaged in the fight so they can get more time off than time on and kind of help um, lessen the psychological effect of, of being in such incredible violence. Uh, Bruce says, Batain, on the other hand, was exceedingly frustrated by a battle of which had arrived. Um, and so this is him talking about being frustrated that, you know, the, the French leadership isn't really understanding the time that, that he needs to do this um, and the impact that it's having on his soldiers and all that other stuff. So 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 the big two things in, in this fight that really stuck out to me was how he managed logistics and and the importance of logistics and how it played um, on the the one road, the Lavoie Sacré, uh, and this little this little railroad that they had to bring stuff in from the the town of Verdun, and then setting up that rotation to keep his soldiers um, mentally engaged in the fight and making sure that he just didn't throw them out there to be bombed for for days and days and days and days and days on end, and and then just be a completely ineffective fighting force. So um, another thing, so now uh, another cool thing that Patain does, he does this thing called a creeping barrage. Instead of just launching the infantry, he's now using artillery to soften the battlefield before he sends them in. A new tactic by the French at this point. So uh, drops a bunch of munitions, they move forward. Drops more, they move forward. This came into effect in October when they started moving in, when they launched that offensive, the creeping barrage um, is what got them to, to push the Germans back. So they softened the Germans up, they'd launch in their infantry, the power of their infantry, clean it up, and go from there. I think I've covered a lot of stuff. Again, this is this is a skim. I uh, Seriously, I could talk for hours on on this subject and 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 go down every little rabbit hole that's here the construction of the bases um the germans and how uh, the the power that they brought in the germans brought in over 1400 artillery pieces for this um and and millions being more successful on the back end for this but uh but the 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 germans coming forward General Falkenhayn coming forward with just the plan of, you know, um, of taking out the people. Um, so he says, uh, he actually, I got a, a quote in here saying, this is from uh, General Falkenhayn. Uh, remember, he's the German uh, chief of general staff that op, uh, launched Operation Gierst. And he says, our enemies, thanks to their superiority in man and material, are increasing their resources much more than we are. If that process continues, a moment must come when the balance of numbers itself will deprive Germany of any remaining hope. He's acknowledging the fact that the power of the French is in their people, and therefore he must take out the people. And that's what Verdun was about, was about the Germans bleeding out the French. Uh, the French had a little bit of a surprise for him, thanks to General Patain making it happen. General Neville coming in after he got after Patain gets promoted. Um, trying to wrap it all up in a synopsis for you. Incredible fight. If you have time, go and dig in some more. Robert Bruce has some fantastic content about this uh, in the. Uh, um, I better better cite this. I'll get somebody will call me, tell me I done something bad. Hang on, just a sec. I'll make sure I, I get this correct. As you can hear me scrolling feverishly up to the 
the top of the page. All right. uh, and the article is named To the Last Limits of Their Strength, the French Army and the Logistics of Attrition at the Battle of Verdun, 21 February through 18 December 1916. So what's probably my longest show to date. Well, there's only three of them, so it is the longest. Um, sorry, I'm going to enjoy some more of this whiskey here. was a history show um talking about the battle of verdun uh, world war one crazy stuff trench warfare ugly ugly um cool thing about about this battle as as big and, and huge and awful as it was really opened up um a new avenue i'm a i'm a logistician uh, that's my job in the army currently and so to see see how all that kind of like started and and seeing a commander take you know let logistics take priority and say no if you know we can't feed them and and do all this stuff then that's that's got to happen first otherwise we're going to fail and be as creative as he was to do that uh general patain really kind of struck a uh struck a chord with me and i'm gonna go do a little bit more digging into him he'll may have an episode on just him and uh and where he came from and a little bit more in depth into, into what he did. So I believe friends, that is the notes that I have for, uh, for what I wanted to cover for, uh, for done again, if you have questions, comments, please, uh, you can comment on any one of the, sh the, uh, the sites there that I have on Castbox or Spotify or SoundCloud. Please leave me your thoughts. Um, uh, you can email me at whywhiskeyhistory at gmail.com if you have thoughts for a show, thoughts on the show. If you have more information, I would love to do a follow-up uh, on Verdun and maybe go down a different road, maybe look at the, a little bit more in-depth on the German side and, and how they were moving and some of the some of the accounts and stuff on, on the side of Germany as well. So, uh, so get in contact with me. Please comment. Tell me how I can be better and do better and get more of what you want out there. So, from the bar of questionable life choices, this is Ian McGlynn, and you have been listening to Why Whiskey. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and as always, if you have questions, comments, or would like to join me at the bar of questionable life choices for an episode, please contact me at whywhiskeyhistory at gmail.com, and we can start that conversation. Thank you. Once upon a time there was a railroad line